This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast. I'm your host, board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. And this week, I'm answering a question that might seem straightforward, but I think there's actually a lot more to it, and we're going to talk about it. Let's have a listen. Hi, Dr. Lincoln. My name is Kristen, and I am thinking about getting a hysterectomy because I live in a state that is about to ban abortion, and I am wondering what to expect um, if I do end up getting a hysterectomy with the procedure and what happens afterwards and what happens to your body, you know, after your tubes get sniffed or tied or whatever they actually do. Um, So if you could explain that, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Are you like me? And this question like breaks your heart, like Kristen, having to consider this level of intervention to feel safe in your state, it not only saddens me, it enrages me. I got this question actually quite a few weeks ago, and I put off answering it till now, I think because obviously, like many OBGYNs and people who work in healthcare, I just have a lot of feelings about all of this that's going down. And the fact that you called in and asked a question so point blank, like, I think I'm going to take my uterus out because I live in a state where things might not be safe for me like a major surgery. It just, it breaks my heart. But you know what? This week, we're going to talk about it because that is literally the name of my podcast and we don't run away from hard conversations. So I want to talk about why you might feel this way, what you might want to do to keep yourself safe from unintended pregnancy, and yes, what to expect if you do get a hysterectomy. So first things first, my true condolences that this is even the line of thinking that you're feeling you have to pursue where you live. And for those of you who are listening and saying, oh my gosh, she's overreacting. First, cool, I'm glad you're here because that's usually not the kind of people who listen. Um, But secondly, Kristen, you're not overreacting because it really is this bad. Tennessee, abortion banned, no exceptions. Alabama, abortion banned, no exceptions for rape or incest. Arkansas, the same. Louisiana, the same. Oklahoma, the same. And private citizens can sue people who provide abortions and those who assist, meaning if you help somebody get pills or you tell them where to go. And the list goes on and on. As of this recording today, 13 states have full bans, 14 if you count Georgia with a gestational age ban, 18 if you count bans up to 20 weeks. 18 states where people do not have full control of their bodies and their reproductive choices. So yeah, Kristen's not overreacting. And we know that after Roe fell in June of last year, We saw lots more people wanting to get better birth control plans. We saw huge increases in numbers of people who were seeking birth control and emergency birth control. People who worked in offices saw this. Mail order birth control companies where they would give you the option to throw in emergency contraception or plan B if you were ordering birth control. They saw people, you know, sometimes opt in. This number skyrocketed. People were like, yes, please give me all the things. So people were paying attention and were, I think, acting appropriately. And then what I saw on TikTok, where you know I spend some of my time, I saw people talking about things like getting their tubes tied, like having vasectomies. 
in ways that people previously were not talking about it because they were scared. It made me so sad and so worried because I think it's important we understand what all this means in the context of good birth control in a world where now abortion is not considered a constitutional right. So Kristen asking about a hysterectomy as a form of birth control after Roe fell, I want to break down a few facts about whether or not this is something you need to do to take full control of your reproductive future. But first, we got to make sure we're using the right language and the right words and we all are talking about the same thing. So what does a hysterectomy even mean? Does that sound like a silly thing to say? I promise you it's not. So actually, that's this week's class is in session, which is this week's teachable moment where we talk about the things I guarantee you never learned in health class. So this week's teachable moment is the hysterectomy has a lot of different names and lots of areas of confusion. And we are going to talk about that today. So there's lots of confusing terminology about hysterectomy, what it means, what it doesn't. So let's review. Hysterectomy at its base means removal of the uterus. But oh, if it were only that simple. I've heard people use the words partial hysterectomy. That actually, the medical term for that is supracervical, so above the cervix. So that means a hysterectomy where your uterus was removed and your cervix is left behind. There's another term called full hysterectomy, which in the medical term means total hysterectomy, like total, we totally take out the whole thing. So we take out the uterus and the cervix. There's also a hysterectomy with something called a BSO or a bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. That's a lot of words. That means if we've taken out the salpingo, oophorectomy, salpingo means fallopian tubes, oophorectomy means we've taken out the ovaries as well. So if you had a hysterectomy with a bilateral salpingo, oophorectomy, that means we took out your uterus and we also took out your tubes and your ovaries. A radical hysterectomy is not just something left over from the 80s. That's totally radical. It's actually a really serious form of a hysterectomy. It's where the uterus and the cervix are removed along with the surrounding structures of the uterus. This is when cancer is suspected or confirmed. This is usually a surgery done by a surgical specialist called a gynecologic oncologist, also known as gynecologists who've done extra training in cancer. That's usually reserved for people who have cancer, like I said. You can also have a hysterectomy with a salpingectomy, which means that you've had your uterus removed and you've also had the fallopian tubes removed, but we've left behind the ovaries. And we often will do that because unless we have to take out the ovaries, we try not to because the ovaries are really cool and that they make estrogen, which can help us stay healthy in a lot of ways. We remove them if we have concerns about cancer or precancerous things, but usually in general, we leave those behind. And a fun fact on the origin of the word hysterectomy, Hyster is from the Greek hystera, which means womb. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't hystera sound like something else? Yes, you're right. It sounds like hysteria, which is a term that you've heard hysteria or hysterical. And we think, oh, that's a funny word. Like, stop being so hysterical. Oh, no, my friends. Back in the day, hysteria was thought to be a medical condition that were exclusive to women and people with a uterus. It was when something was wrong with their uterus, either it was dysfunctioning or they didn't have their uterus, they somehow became very emotionally uncontrollable and neurotic and insane. And so when you were quote unquote hysterical, it's not just that you were really upset that like something happened. It was that you had this actual condition and this was a really fun way that women were sort of patronized and controlled back in the old days. And these words still carry forward today. So 
a lot of words when we talk about hysterectomy, but words matter. Understanding what it means matters, not only for being able to communicate with to medical providers and knowing what surgery you had or you didn't have, but interesting how words that have some really negative effects still carry on. And I don't think I'm being hysterical about it. Words matter. Class dismissed. Okay, so... Now that you've heard my fun diatribe about the words hysterical and hysterectomy, let's go back to what we're talking about here. So once you've had a hysterectomy and you no longer have a uterus, it is true that you can no longer get pregnant. However, I do need to address this, that you don't need to do this for birth control because having a hysterectomy is a major surgery and you can achieve almost the same effect of not getting pregnant by leaving the uterus where it is, leaving it in place, and instead removing the fallopian tubes. So we usually save hysterectomies and doing these sorts of surgeries for other issues like heavy periods, fibroids, prolapse, cancer, that kind of thing. So let's instead pivot the conversation now to what I just talked about. So removing the tubes, which we'll talk about names in a second. I'm going to call it a tubal ligation or a tubal removal. So you'll hear me use those words, but Let's talk about that as maybe the option you might be wanting to consider. And here's why. It's a much smaller surgery. It can be done a few different ways. It can be done through a tiny incision on the belly button called a mini laparotomy. So just think a really tiny incision either within the fold of your belly button or just underneath it. Or it can be done as a laparoscopic surgery. So like usually two, sometimes three tiny incisions on the belly where we use tools placed in the belly and a camera so we can see and operate. Or it can be done at the time of another surgery when your belly is open for a different surgery. Most commonly, we see this done at the time of a cesarean section. So lots of different ways that this can be done. And different kinds of surgeries can be done to achieve the effect of, quote unquote, tying your tubes. So one way is called a salpingectomy, which is removal of the tubes. So we take out the entire tube. If this is done, and this is actually a way that now preferentially OBGYNs are doing tubal ligations in a lot of cases, because we know, fun fact, ovarian cancer doesn't always originate from the ovaries. We also think that it can also come from the tubes themselves. So we have data to show that when you remove your fallopian tubes, you're actually decreasing your chance of having ovarian cancer. So a lot of people are now doing that as the way that they are doing a tubal ligation or tying your tubes. They're actually removing the tubes. But another way you can do it seems more accurate with the word tubal ligation or tying your tubes is you remove a tiny piece of the tubes or you put a clip there or a band there. Basically, you're interrupting the tubes so that sperm can't meet egg. Fun fact, this is the number one form of birth control worldwide. I don't know why, but that still blows my mind because legitimately it's a surgery, granted a tiny one, but the fact that a surgery, surgical sterilization is what it's called, is the number one form of birth control worldwide. I think it just blows my mind because I think of other things that we have that are just as effective, but are a lot easier to do, but, but whatever, if that's what people are choosing and they're truly choosing it of their free will, which we know is not always the case, but if that's truly what people want, I'm here for it. Just a fun fact I thought I would share. Having your tubes tied or your tubes removed as a form of birth control is super, super, super effective. So here's a way to think of it. Is it true that it's less effective than abstinence? Totally, because the only way you can never get pregnant is if you never have penis and vagina sex. Is it less effective than having your entire uterus removed? Probably, because once again, if you don't have a uterus, it's really hard to get pregnant, but super, super effective. I, I just want to hit that home. So if you've had this form of birth control done, 
And if you continue to have sex and you're using this as your form of birth control, after 10 years, only between 18 to 37 people out of a thousand will be pregnant. Now you might hear that and go, oh my goodness, that's actually still a lot because the number's not zero, but it's actually not that much. And here's another way to say that. Fewer than one in a hundred each year. So it's not zero, but it's pretty darn close. And like I said, the other benefits of having the surgery, other than it's a much quicker surgery, smaller recovery. And if you have those tubes removed, you really decrease your chance of having ovarian cancer. So that is just one thing I want to throw out there to Kristen as a thought. Let's not also forget to talk about LARCs, which is L-A-R-C, which stands for long-acting reversible contraception, because they are also as effective as having your tubes tied. And the one difference is that they're completely reversible. And I want to talk about that reversibility, because one of the things I saw on social media, more so about vasectomies, but really about tubules too, is this idea that you can get it done now in this scary post-row world and have it removed, but don't worry, you can have it reversed later on. I want you to know that what we consider permanent sterilization, getting your tubes tied, your tubes removed, having a vasectomy, we call it that for a reason because it's not meant to be reversed. Now, is it true that you can look it up and you can see, especially for vasectomies, that reversal surgery exists and people do them? Absolutely. But it's not guaranteed and the success rates can vary. And oftentimes this is not covered by insurance and the reversal surgery is a lot longer and a lot more difficult than the actual sterilization surgery. So this is not going to be like some quick drop in the bucket cost. I mean, is anything really a drop in a bucket in the American healthcare system? And especially if you've had your tubes removed, completely removed, there is no reversing that. So if you do want to get pregnant in the future, you'll need to do some sort of fertility treatments in order to do so. So please do not consider these reversible. And that's why I'm bringing up LARCs, which are those long-acting reversible contraceptives, which are your IUDs, um, both hormonal and non-hormonal, and the arm implant called the Nexplanon implant. These are completely reversible and your fertility goes right back to baseline after you have them removed. But in the interim, when you're using them as a form of birth control, they're super duper effective. When we talk about failure rates or pregnancy rates, the pregnancy rate for the IUD is about the same as having your tubes tied. And actually the number one, like the most effective form of birth control that we have other than abstinence is the arm implant, that next one on implant. So the only failure rate is a 0.05% failure rate. That is the lowest of any form of birth control method. So if you're like Kristen living in a state that is really hostile to reproductive rights, you may want to consider this. However, I still want to answer your question, Kristen, because you did ask, you said, what do I expect after a hysterectomy, as well as what to expect after a tubal ligation, because that is the question you had. And if you choose to move forward with a hysterectomy, you should know. So hysterectomies, let's first talk about how they are done. So removal of the uterus, and depending on what kind of hysterectomy you have, you may also be removing the cervix, you may be removing the tubes or the ovaries. That's you know, a different discussion, but what I'm talking about here is, is the surgical route that it can be done, and they can be done in different ways. So hysterectomies can be done in different ways depending on a few different things, such as the reason for your hysterectomy, the size of your uterus, any other medical issues, if you've had surgeries before, what you prefer, the surgical route that your provider is comfortable with, that kind of thing. So I think the coolest thing, the coolest kind of hysterectomy, and, and it's really, it should be the, like the default, like it should be this, unless there's reasons you can't, is a vaginal hysterectomy. So you can actually have your uterus and your cervix removed through the vagina. So no abdominal incisions whatsoever. 
I think that's so cool that you're literally having an organ removed from your body and nobody would be able to tell because you've got no incisions. Like that's just, I just think that's super cool. It's like getting your tonsils out. Like there's already an orifice there. Let's use that one. <laughs> we know it's the quickest recovery. It is really low risk. And it's just a super elegant way to have an organ removed. I, I stand in awe of that. So vaginal hysterectomies often can be done where you have your surgery and you go home a few hours later, or maybe you stay one extra day. So the benefit of vaginal hysterectomies is, is that there's no incisions on your belly you have to heal from. And the recovery is oftentimes a lot quicker. And we know in general that this kind of hysterectomy causes less complications than the other kind of hysterectomies that I will talk about in just a moment. And so since this is a smaller surgery, you're able to heal more quickly, you're able to get back to your activities more quickly. So really, in general, this is considered the first choice, like do this kind of hysterectomy unless there's other issues. And not everybody is an appropriate candidate for a hysterectomy. For example, if you've had four abdominal surgeries before and we know you've got scar tissue, this is not going to be the safest route for a surgery for you. Another option for a hysterectomy is a laparoscopic hysterectomy. So this is, when we say laparoscopic, it's like how I described a laparoscopic tubal ligation before, where tiny little incisions are made on your belly, and then some air is put into the belly to sort of dome it up so that your surgeon is able to see more clearly and see your organs more clearly and a camera is put in so that they can watch on a screen and they're able to operate and put instruments in with that camera at the same time so they can see what they're doing, but it does not require a big abdominal incision. And then your uterus can be removed a couple different ways. It can either be removed through the vagina if the cervix is being removed as well, or it can be removed in pieces through one of those tiny laparoscopic incisions if the cervix is being left in place, or if it's felt that it can't be removed through this vagina safely. This is what we consider a traditional laparoscopic hysterectomy. There is also another form of laparoscopic hysterectomy called a robotic laparoscopic hysterectomy, which is not that a robot is doing the procedure for you, although maybe we'll get there one day. But what it means is that there is a robotic component to it that controls the laparoscopic instruments and your surgeon doesn't actually stand right next to you and hold the instruments and operate them. He or she actually sits at a separate console in the same room and using little hand devices and basically like video game controllers is able to look in and see and control the laparoscopic instruments, which are mounted into this robotic mount kind of thing that, that's at the actual operating table. The benefits of robotic surgery is that oh, the visualization is gorgeous. It's, it's very different. It's a lot clearer. And it also, the instruments are not straight sticks. They have the ability to articulate and to rotate like a surgeon's wrist. So it's really cool. <laughs> I can tell you when I was finishing residency is when robotic surgery in the gynecologic world was becoming more common. So I got to do a few of these and it helped with a few of these. But even in the time I finished in 2011 to now, they're being used in a much different way. In general, we reserve robotic hysterectomy surgery for more complicated surgeries like cancers or prolapse surgery where we need to do some other things. So I can tell you I have limited experience with it, but man, they were fun. Long story short, still considered a minimally invasive surgery. Oftentimes, robotic hysterectomies take a bit longer than straight stick hysterectomies, but not always. And we do know that, you know, these types of hysterectomies, robotic ones, should not replace the vast majority of traditional laparoscopic hysterectomies because the outcomes are, are no different. And then lastly, there is the abdominal hysterectomy, which, like it sounds like, it's where you have an incision on your belly. So either like a C-section incision kind of like just an incision above the bikini line, sometimes one's a little bit smaller, or even an up and down incision. If your uterus is 
let's say, really big from fibroids or adenomyosis. And so as you can imagine, these surgeries, since they're bigger, it's involving bigger incisions, the healing time is longer, there can be more associated risks associated with it, such as more bleeding, needing a blood transfusion, infection. Overall, these are very low-risk surgeries, but they are a bit higher risk when it comes to some of those unwanted outcomes afterwards, like compared to a vaginal hysterectomy or a laparoscopic hysterectomy. So hysterectomy overall is a really safe surgical procedure, but it is a surgery. So in terms of what to expect afterwards, Kristen, we would advise anybody who's had these kinds of surgeries to look out for complications such as fevers, infections, bleeding, issues with healing. You would be seen by your surgeon usually a couple of weeks afterwards and then a little bit longer as well to make sure that healing is going well. I have had people ask me, well, like, where do things go? Like, where do your organs go now that your uterus is removed? And I tell people that the pelvis is kind of a bowl. And if your uterus is the normal size that it should be, which is about the size of your fist, you close your hand and then look at your fist, it's pretty tiny. And if you're postmenopausal, it's even tinier, but that's not taking up a whole lot of space in your pelvis. So your intestines and your other organs that are around there, they just kind of, you know, take up space and they just go where your uterus was. Obviously, it's going to be a bit different if you had an enormous fibroid uterus. And I've seen people where they've looked pregnant because their uterus was so enlarged. And obviously, once that's removed, what to expect afterwards is they don't look pregnant anymore and they're really excited. But yeah, it could feel a little different. Now, you may feel a bit differently if you've also had your ovaries removed, because if you have your ovaries removed and you aren't given an external source of estrogen, then you're going to go through surgical menopause and feel the effects of that. So hot flushes, you might have um, insomnia, vaginal dryness. People tend to have more symptoms with this kind of menopause, which is, you know, on Monday you had normal estrogen and then on Tuesday you had your ovaries removed and you're basically through menopause. That's a big difference than if you've gradually gone through menopause like you would normally. So symptoms can be pretty obvious and severe. So it's important to have a plan in place, but you should not have those symptoms if you've still got your ovaries in place and just had your uterus removed. So in general, that's what to expect after a hysterectomy. When it comes to a tubal ligation, what to expect? You know, again, it depends kind of how it's done. If it's done at the time of a C-section, there's really not going to be any changes. If you have a tiny laparoscopic surgery or even just that tiny little incision called a mini laparotomy, um, what to expect is really related to your surgical healing and that your surgeon will tell you, you know, you need to not lift X number of pounds for X number of weeks, depending on the type of incision. There should be no change in terms of your hormones because you've still got your ovaries and there should be no changes to your periods. I know there's a lot of information out there that says otherwise when it comes to people's symptoms after a tubal ligation. And all I can offer to you is this, that we have seen no data to support anything called post-tubal ligation syndrome or any changes in periods. However, if you notice anything related to that and it happens to be after your tubal ligation, even if it doesn't, we'd want to see you and address your symptoms at hand. But in general, there's really no difference. So now I want to transition over to this week's clitorally moment, where I clitorally and literally often share things that enrage me and drive me crazy on social media. But actually this week, I want to share a pretty awesome TikTok about somebody who underwent a laparoscopic hysterectomy. And it sounds like what she was dealing with were like absolutely terrible periods. I have no idea if she also had fibroids or adenomyosis or endometriosis or anything like that, but it sounds like her period sucked. And this was her recovery and what she felt like at six weeks, because Clitorally and literally, I love it when people share experiences on social media 
And sometimes I feel like what we hear about are only the disasters. Like it's like Yelp, right? You only hear the amazing thing or you hear the terrible thing. And I feel like what she's sharing here is like run of the mill. Hey, this is what I'm feeling right now at six weeks. And I think it's pretty honest and pretty reassuring. So let's have a listen. All right, so I'm finally six weeks post-op for my hysterectomy, and I feel fantastic. I'm not like 100%, but overall, I'm feeling great. So she said everything looks good. The vaginal cuff stitching is completely healed, but there are some sutures still in there, so um, no like uh -uh for another four weeks. But I'm cleared to lift weights. I can go running. I can go hiking. I can do more than walk on my horse, so like trotting, loping, jumping, every everything. Um, so my incisions are looking great. These were just glued, so no stitches there. Got the four of them. Everything looks good there. Um, I haven't had any pelvic discomfort or like the really crazy aching going on. I used to have that all the time, um, maybe pretty much every day, but maybe a few days out of the month. So um, I had heavy periods like every two to three weeks where I'd just be bleeding through my clothes. Uh, I had to sleep on towels, was not good. So that is all gone. Uh, no more period poops, that's a plus. So I'm looking at the positives. Um, I still have some inflammation down here that just needs to, I mean, I had major surgery six weeks ago, so um, that's a little, just a little puffy, but no pain or discomfort. And then if you look to the side, that's finally all going down. I'll probably see it better this way. Um, so if I tighten my cord, I don't have a huge lump here anymore. I used to have like a huge lump and looked pregnant all the time. So that's completely gone. Um, everything feels fantastic. Um, I don't have any more night sweats. My moods aren't going from like crazy, crazy, crazy high to like a super duper low, which is great because my anxiety is kind of staying in this nice little bubble. Um, so I don't know if that's gonna change as my hormones fluctuate because I'm pretty sure my body's like, girl, what the fuck did you do? Where are my things that I need, you know, to get everything, you know, going for the month, but it's not there anymore. So, yay. Okay. I love that she gave her uterus or her, her body, I should say, a voice and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> because yes, it's true that after you have a surgery, like a major surgery, like having your uterus removed, yeah, it's going to take your body a hot minute, I think, to adjust. And I think that is a normal thing. And like, this is obviously her experience. It's valid. But, you know, in some ways she's like, this is amazing. The the organ that was trying to kill me, that was trying to make me bleed out every month is gone. And that's super cool. And yeah, I'm only six weeks out. Like, I'm still got some inflammation. I'm still, you know, settling down. When I tell people when you've had a major surgery, even if it's a laparoscopic surgery or a vaginal surgery, while I said, yeah, the recovery is so much quicker, I think it's important to realize that your body's going through some things and it's healing. And don't expect just because your surgeon said at six weeks, well, everything's fine. Like, I don't need to see you back. Like your body is just 100% healed. And I'm saying this as somebody who used to say this to other people. And then when myself, when I had something happen and my consulting physician said, well, six weeks out, you should be fine. And I feel like it took me till a year. I realized I needed to reframe how I said that. And so I realized I'm always learning. And so whether or not you've had a hysterectomy or some other surgery, obviously there's some things in the short term that can automatically feel better. And we love that. We had a problem, we fixed it, but also know that it can still take a while to adjust. And that is why Kristen 
while I hear you and I hear that you are so scared about your reproductive future and I will continue to fight that fight for you as are so many of us. I do want to say maybe this episode has helped you think like, oh gosh, I do want to have reproductive control and maybe a hysterectomy isn't the way to do that. Or maybe it is, but maybe it's a tubal ligation. Maybe it's other forms of birth control that are as effective, but completely um, reversible and are not associated with any kind of surgical recovery. So in the end, Kristen, I want you to know that I hear you and I hear your post-row concerns. And it may be that you want to find a highly effective form of birth control, whether it's an IUD or an arm plant. Um, and check out my other content. I have a ton of content both on here on this podcast, on my other social media, especially my YouTube channel. Or maybe it's a tubal ligation. Maybe it's knowing that a hysterectomy isn't the best choice, that at the end of the day, it is your body. It is your choice. And that's not just in relation to abortion care. It also has to do with how you are able to control your reproductive future. So your question enraged me and your question made me sad. And your question is a completely valid one. And I want to say thank you so much for giving me the chance to answer it and know that we are here for you and we will keep fighting. And whatever way you choose to contracept, we support you. And happy and safe contracepting to you and everyone else. Okay, it's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body and we're gonna answer them. Yeah.